Hello, and welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retiner, your host, broadcasting from my home in the Hamptons, where I have lived for over 55 years. I've written a dozen books about this glorious place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small tourist towns, quaint fishing villages, and a summer playground for high society, to what it is today, a world-class resort for celebrities, artists, musicians, authors, and billionaires. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with not only these people, but also prominent local people who have helped shape the Hamptons. Welcome to Dan's Talks. My guest today is David Berg, who is uh, an author and a lawyer and has written a book that's been quite a sensational in the uh, legal profession. And and we'll get to that in a minute. And also, he's going to be talking about that book at the uh, Who Done It, which is this weekend-long event taking place April 17 here in the Hamptons. But so let's talk, first of all, a little bit about this book. Is this the first book you've ever uh, written for legal legal purposes? Uh, Well, there's two books I've written, uh, one with a second edition. The first book was a uh, book for trial lawyers on how to try lawsuits. And the second book was a book about my brother's murder uh, called Run, Brother, Run. And um, how did the other book do? Has that uh, been a success as well? Yes, that that was uh, in a, it was published by the American Bar Association, and it's been very well reviewed and very well received. And I had to publish a second edition, and there's been a second printing, so it went really well. What does it cover? What is that? Every aspect of trial skills using examples from my career and examples from my mentors who were uh, at one time or another uh, in days past, the most famous lawyers in America. Who would that be? Well, one would be Racehorse Haynes, Richard Racehorse Haynes. And the other was Joe Jamail. Joe uh, won the $11 billion verdict in the Pennzoil case, uh, Pennzoil versus Texaco way back when, back in the 80s. And Racehorse, one of famous, a lot of cases that got enormous press, subjects of books, et cetera. Is this now considered one of the go-to books to be read by law school students and so forth? Um, it's, it's taught in, I don't know how many trial advocacy classes it's taught in, but I do know it's taught at, the, uh, at Georgetown Law School, the University of Texas Law School, and several other places. But it's used as sort of a go-to book for trial lawyers as well, uh, because it's very detailed on every aspect of jury trials, from pre-trial preparation to jury selection, which I consider to be one of the two most important skills, Uh, opening, cross-examination, which is, uh, to me, uh, first among equals, uh, direct and closing argument. When would these books, part one and part two, when did they come out? The first edition came out in 2003. The uh, second edition came out in 2018. I dedicated part of that book to how uh, I won a case uh, with my team out in L.A. for Dan Aykroyd and my my dear friend John Alexander, whom you may know, the artist out here in the Hamptons. And the other uh, that edition came out in 2018. And um, my memoir came out, uh, it was published by Scribner, and it came out in 2013. 
Uh, I guess I think the next thing I wanted to talk about, given what you've said, is uh, what was what was the most uh, exciting and interesting case you've ever been party to that you won? <laughs> the, the the most exciting case, exciting may not be the right word, but uh, Morris Dees from the Southern Poverty Law Center and I worked on the Carter campaign together. And we became good friends. I know he's been canceled now, but he's still my good friend. He and I sued the Ku Klux Klan back in the early 80s, who had been terrorizing the Vietnamese fishermen along the Gulf Coast. And uh, they had shot at them. They had burned up their boats, two of their boats. uh, And Morris and I sued him. And we not only uh, got uh, a federal order protecting the fishermen, but we shut down the Klan's East Texas paramilitary training camps and ran them out of Texas. That's how they ended up at uh, Coeur d'Alene up in Idaho. Mm -hmm. Uh, That to me is extremely satisfying. I've had so many wonderful cases. Where did you go to law school and how did you decide you wanted to be a lawyer? I asked my mother about how I decided I wanted to be a lawyer. And her response was that I had said that when I was eight years old. So I went back and looked at what was going on when I was eight or nine years old, and it was the House Un-American Activities Committee uh, who were trying to blacklist and did blacklist uh, numerous wonderful writers. And I think that's the first impression I had. Uh, But I never never wanted to be anything else. In fact, for reasons that escaped me, my father and brother sent me, well, it didn't escape me. I write about it in my book. My father and brother sent me to Europe in 1964 after I graduated college. And frankly, I do think the reason was because a girlfriend's father was going to kill me. So I went over to I went over to Paris and I was at Harry's bar. And I'll never forget, I started drinking with this wonderful man whose name was Stephen Winter. I don't know where where he is now, Dan. And at about three in the morning, I called my father. And I said, Dad, I think I'm going to stay here, go to the Sorbonne, and I'm going to become a writer. And my father was pithy in his response. And he said, you're nuts. Come home. And I did, and I became a lawyer. And when I got home, I I was not a great student. My brother had talked my way into the University of Houston Law Center. And this is the brother whom I wrote about in Run, Brother, Run. When, uh, so where did you go to law school? The University of Houston Law Center. And so that's where you grew up to? Uh, well, I lived in Little Rock till I was 11. And I lived in Houston until I was about uh, 70 years old, from 11 <laughs> to 70. And then I moved up here. Let's see. How did they rope you in for this, uh, this whodunit weekend? I think it would be Jenny Conant uh, and Steve Croft, who were dear friends. They suggested that I be part of of the weekend, and it sounded fascinating to me. So, uh, so I've said yes. I would love to do it. I'm going to be on a panel with Ray Kelly and Steve Croft, uh, twelve fifteen, the fifteenth, I believe. Yes, of uh, April. April fifteenth. Yeah. And we're going to discuss things things that I think the public will be interested in. But I'm also moderating a panel the next day at two and uh, this i think this all takes it does take place at the east hampton library it's going to be in several venues but they'll all be in east hampton 
Yeah, and and they can you can find the I know the first one, the one I'm on with Steve Croft and uh, Ray Kelly, the former former police commissioner, is at the library. I'm not sure. I'm going to moderate the one on the Giglow Beach uh, and and uh, Oak Beach murders that have never been solved. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to moderate that one the next day at two. Uh, briefly, tell me about those murders and where they what they were all about. It, it happened a long ago, but there were four uh, bodies uh, of sex workers, as it turned out, found, uh, and, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, at Giglow Beach. And then over a period of time, the police uncovered, they thought that this killer, whomever it was, it's never been, no one has been brought to justice. They think they know who did it, but there were, uh, they believe he killed somewhere around 18 to 20 uh, uh sex workers uh, along those beaches. I think uh, I remember uh, seeing this in recent years that some of them were found. Uh, yes. Five years ago or so. That's exactly right. They found another, I think, another four bodies uh, four years ago. How long a period of time do you think this person was active? Can you tell? Uh, it, it's impossible to tell, although when they found the four bodies on the beach, the first discovery, they felt as those those bodies had been there for quite some time. And that was, I think, 2010. Without revealing anything you shouldn't, who, who do they think did it in terms of what was he like? I guess it was a man, I presume so. Um, what was, what, do they have a rough idea of, was he uh, a blue collar worker? Was he somebody who, was crazy or what do they think? Well, I can tell you what the people who live out there think. My my son bought a home at Oak Beach during the pandemic and they live there now and they've gotten to know the neighbors who've been there a long time. In fact, uh, my son Gabe's uh, fishing partners are both in their 80s and they believe, uh, I think I'd rather wait for the panel, but there's a, a widespread consensus that this was not a blue collar worker but a professional man, a man with an advanced degree. I see. Well, I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see how it turns out. <laughs> That's what they call it a whodunit. You ever, have you ever been to anything like this? I haven't. I'm going to it also. I, I've never been to one like this. My book was uh, part of the East Hampton Festival, uh, book festival one year, and I've, I've spoken quite, a great, uh, quite often about the book, but I've never been to something like this. Do you have a home out here? Do, do you come out to the Hamptons? Well, we live out here now, and I've had a home here. My wife and I have, and my family and I have had homes here since 97, but I've been coming here since the 80s. Uh, you know, I still miss the hot dogs when you turn off the off the freeway. What was her name? Uh, Grace. Grace's hot dogs. We were talking about that the other day. No, I've, I've been coming here forever, and it, I have close friends here. And we've we've had homes here, two different homes here, and love the one we're in now. Do you travel a great deal? Not a great deal. For one thing, I'm 81. And uh, for some reason, I just, I like sitting down <laughs> and not getting up often. But we are, we're headed to Israel in the, uh, before we, the festival starts. And also Paris. And if we live, I'll show up at the uh, I'll show up at the festival. 
you have any idea what uh, Netanyahu is up to is with with this change he wants to make? Yeah, uh, I know what he's up to, but it apparently it failed. I just read that he is now going going to stop. Uh, he's not going to drop the plan. But what it was was that two things were true. One, he was going to make sure the Supreme Court's jurisdiction was limited. There were going to be cases that uh, the Supreme Court of Israel, which is one of the great courts of the world, uh, was not going to be able to hear. They couldn't remove anyone who'd been convicted of a felony from office. And one wonders if that might be Mr. <laughs> Mr. Netanyahu. It's like being governor of Michigan. Once you're prime minister of Israel, you serve your term and then you serve a jail term. I mean, it just seems to happen. <laughs> uh, and and I, I think they also passed a law yesterday or, or not yesterday, but last week uh, that sort of insulates him. I've forgotten precisely from criminal charges. So uh, I don't like what he's doing. Uh, it, it, if I were to characterize it, I, it would be as if. Uh, the MAGA Republicans controlled our government. And that's what happened in Israel. I see. Well, good luck. I hope you get in and out okay from there. Yeah, we, we do too. <laughs> we do too. Working on any new book at this point? You know, it's interesting, uh, Dan. I, I don't want to overstay my, my time at the fair, but one piece of advice that I would give authors, uh, which is if you write a memoir, write it, finish it, and look at it. Don't try to sell it. Wait six months. Because I've had very just profound insights about myself, about my relation to my family, and what happened to my brother uh, since I wrote the book. So I'm, I've been toying with the idea of two different books. Uh, one I've started, which is about the revelations that are the things that I discovered about my family after writing about them, um, about the injustice, the horrible injustice that was done in my brother's case. Well, uh, I wasn't going to mention it, but you brought it up. What was his case? Well, he he was murdered uh, by a man named Charles Harrelson. Uh, who was a serial killer. He he was a hitman and a serial killer. And um, my brother, in a, in a nutshell, my brother had hired uh, a fellow to run his a branch office of his and my father's carpet business. It was over in San Antonio. And this guy came, the, this guy they made manager, was uh, came from Kansas City. And they didn't check him out. And he was a little mobster. And he stole from my family. And then my dad went about the business of trying to keep him from going into business on his own. And uh, the competition became so vicious that he hired Harrelson to kill my brother. And he did. And then my Harrelson was acquitted. Uh, as, and I think I'm, all the reviewers seem to agree. I'd made a very strong case on perjured testimony, alibi testimony presented by his lawyer. Who also was one of the most famous lawyer was the most famous lawyer in America long long ago named Percy Foreman, and um, so I've had thoughts about that too, and I've I've toyed with that. I've also about revisiting some of what I what I wrote in in my memoir, which is 
which was basically to write the record about my brother. You can imagine the press that that uh, that happened well, in Houston, Texas. Well, there's double jeopardy. And what was the name of that book? My book was Run, Brother, Run, uh, oh. which is uh, something I woke up screaming in the middle of the night years after he was he was abducted and murdered. Well, I'm sorry. Sorry, I brought it up. I think we should talk more about a little bit time left um, about uh, this upcoming weekend. I'll be happy to see you there. And uh, uh, we'll, uh, there is going to be an opening reception, as I'm sure you know, at um, Thursday night at the Maidstone Club. In, uh, yes. So yes. that's very interesting. I haven't been there in a while. Um, You're not a member, Dan? <laughs> no. <laughs> Once, uh, one year, uh, when we first came out here, of course, we, and it still is largely a, a Christian operation. And uh, uh, I had started playing golf with a sales manager I, I uh, had hired for the paper, the two of us. He had, he had uh, been working for Grumman and had taken, and, uh, and was overseas in Iran and so forth and so on. Anyway, I... We published an ad in the paper. My, we're walking down a, a path with um, our clubs and uh, said two uh, members of the social set looking for a game at your club. He's black. I'm Jewish. <laughs> it created quite a stir in the community, and I got calls from many clubs, including the Maidstone, which I played. And uh, they, it, what happened was they offered it later. They wanted him to join the club, but uh, he wouldn't do it. So it's very interesting uh, what goes well, on. I am, first of all, I'm shocked. You're Jewish? I, it was, I had no idea. <laughs> well, I'm not very Jewish. I mean, I'm eth ethnically Jewish, and uh, I'm not, don't, I'm not uh, religiously so, but it's in my genes. And, uh, my yet genes, it, too. <laughs> Well, thank you for being on the podcast. It's a pleasure talking to you. And uh, I'll see you at the show. On I look forward to it. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.